podcast. Okay, welcome to the People with Backpacks podcast. This is a project of the Globetrot Surat travel blog, and that's me, Joel Globetrot Surat. On each episode, we're going to travel to places all around the world, and we're going to hear from storytellers who have stories that are filled with inspiration and important meaning. So grab your backpack, stay tuned, you're listening to the People with Backpacks podcast. Today's story is from Dave Susky, also known as Danger Dave, who was working in a hostel in Quito as Ecuador's COVID-19 lockdown found its way to the capital city. Just like that, 30 backpackers were stranded in the hostel. And quickly, Danger Dave and the rest of the community hostel staff had to come up with a way to keep those travelers safe, healthy, and informed. On today's episode, we're gonna travel to Quito, Ecuador. We're gonna check in to the community hostel, and it's March, 2020, a few days before the lockdown in Ecuador. Let's go. Within the first month, I saw multiple like knife fights go on outside the hostel. Uh, one of our guests got robbed when he was trying to bring beers back to the hostel. Like at the front door, some guy held him at knife point and said, "Like, give me your beer." My name's Dave Susky. Uh, I'm from Canada, but I was actually raised in Connecticut in the states. And I've been now traveling in Latin America for over three years. According to my daily journal, I'm on day 1,116. And yeah, for the whole pandemic, I've been in Ecuador, which is uh, a country that I've spent almost half my trip in by now. First venture into Ecuador was because I needed to do a visa run from Colombia. So I came to Ecuador just for a couple weeks and uh, on a whim, someone recommended me to stay at community hostel in Quito. I met a girl who, at the time, uh, we really connected and I figured, oh, maybe I could stay in Quito for some time and date this girl and see how it goes. And literally the same night that I had my first date with this girl, I got an opportunity to work uh, and volunteer at a hostel in Quito. So I've been back in Ecuador now since December 19th, 2019. And I've been stuck here since, happily trapped. For the longest time, I remember around January and into February, the staff at the hostel kept making like jokes about COVID. A community hostel has an, or had an in-house chef and usually it was a guy named Darwin, Ecuadorian guy, an amazing uh, cook. And him and I would always joke around like, oh, like I'm gonna finish the food from that person. Cause like they had left like half a burger or something like that. And then around like January, late February, he started acting like, you don't know where these people have been. Like he kept like joking like, oh, they might have COVID. It's this exotic virus in China right now. But like maybe this, this German backpacker has been in Asia recently. Maybe, maybe she brought it with her, but it didn't get real. I think my first time I, I really realized this was getting serious was mid-March. And I went out on uh, like a bar crawl that we hosted every Saturday night. 
And I went out with a bunch of backpackers and usually at this bar crawl, everyone is going around sharing drinks, you know, like, oh, I have a beer. Like, let's do a shot together. Like we used to have these fish bowls that would have 40 straws in them. And then everyone would take turns drinking from the fish bowl. And then I remember that like first week of March that I went out thinking, hmm, well, I had just read reports that uh, a city in the south of Ecuador, Guayaquil, was having like a lot of reported cases of COVID. And I remember, I remember thinking, maybe I don't want to like share drinks with strangers. Like, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable doing that. But at the same time, we were in like a sweaty club and everyone was dancing all over each other. So I didn't take it that seriously. But it was the around March 17th that I was sitting in my girlfriend's apartment and the president of Ecuador made like a huge announcement that like starting tomorrow, the country's going into lockdown, going to be a, a curfew, you're not going to be able to go out after 8 p.m. Around then at the hostel, it was like this weird, weird vibe. About maybe 70% of the people were, were thinking to themselves, like 70% of the guests were thinking to themselves, ah, like this doesn't matter. I, I don't care about this. It's like, it's the same thing as the common cold. It's like, I'm not going to let a little virus ruin my trip. And you had like a, a fair few amount of people kind of pounding their chests. Like, ah, I, you know, I've gone through worse. You know, I broke my leg once or like, I've, I've done that. I've been sick before. It's not going to affect me. Then the, the week as it proceeded and Ecuador started to transition into lockdown, you started getting a lot more change in mentality from the travelers. And for instance, I know from my point of view as a Canadian, um, the prime minister of Canada came out and basically sent out a warning to all Canadians abroad and said, you need to get home now because we're going to shut the border and we might not be able to let you in. I think his exact words were something like, get home now before it's too late. Ecuador was beginning to seriously shut down. You weren't supposed to leave the hostel, essentially, unless you had to go out for food or for medicine. And it was, it was, it was maybe like a Wednesday or Tuesday right around then where everyone in the hostel, their mindset started to change. First few days, like around 17th, 18th, 19th of March, um, we had this really nervous energy around the hostel. And then as a, as a volunteer or as a, our staff, we kind of all got together and said, what can we do um, to reduce the stress of everyone because you could tell it just wasn't a good vibe. People were like not fully panicking, but kind of had the initial panic sense. So we came up with uh, a huge board, essentially. I went around and we had about uh, 30 or 40 guests still at the hostel at the, uh, at the very beginning. And we pitched like a huge board of ideas. And I went around like, what do you guys want to do? I guess because everyone was sitting around and they, they wanted to distract themselves. They didn't want to just stare at their phones the whole time or uh, being nervous about the COVID outbreak. Everyone got into the, the activities. Uh, we would do karaoke nights. We did like campfire nights up on the roof. Um, 
we played Pictionary and actually got the the cops called on us because we were being too loud. They thought we were hosting like a party <laughs> because people were just screaming on the top of their lungs trying to answer a question. Um, we would have people give lectures on whatever topic they wanted to. So we had one Dutch girl give a lecture after dinner about a business she wanted to start. Or like I told stories from my travels. We had one guy from Canada and he gave a lecture on his master's thesis, which was super interesting. Uh, one guy from Australia gave a lecture on Australian slang and how to understand it. It was just like all of a sudden in, in a span of 48 hours, we went from the hostel of people like freaking out what to do to people kind of accepting their fate that they were going to be maybe stuck in, in Quito for a little bit of time and let's make the most of it. As we were doing activities and trying to keep everyone healthy and um, safe inside the hostel, outside the hostel was getting really, really sketchy. And then as we got into the first week of things, the first, the second week of things, that's when it started to, to hit to people that this isn't going to be a short-term process. This is, this is going to be a long-term thing. And that's when people started to leave. So there was definitely a scramble to leave. And I know that um, generally people left as nationalities. So my fellow, there was three or four Canadians at the hostel for the first two weeks, and then they left on the same flight together to go back to, to Toronto. And then people from England would leave on the same flight. There was one girl from Israel who, there was no direct flights from Quito to, to Israel. So I think she had to go to England and like quarantine in England for a couple weeks and then continue to fly to Israel. People were paying outrageous prices for a flight. Like if a, if a normal flight from Quito to Toronto is 400 bucks, people were paying like 1600 bucks, uh, 1400 bucks, something around that range to get out because there was literally no other option. People felt like they should be like, they felt safer to be back in their home countries. They felt like that's where the, uh, the proper place to be was. Um, either with their families or, or maybe uh, in the apartments they left. I just felt like everyone was nervous that they were going to be locked out, like that if they stayed in Ecuador for too long, potentially um, their governments might say, okay, you're coming from a country that has a ton of cases. You can't come back right now. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. So where, where the hostel is located is in the historic center of Quito. And generally in this area, it's, it's more of a poor area of the city. And generally also in Ecuador, people don't buy groceries that'll last them like a month or two or even a couple weeks. Most people go out on a near daily basis and buy fruits and vegetables and, and bread and stuff like that. We, I didn't really notice any major changes for the first couple of weeks, but definitely getting into the first month 
of being stuck inside, you started to see some people look more desperate. And that's when you started to see these like dudes on the street wielding like huge kitchen knives that would like attack each other for whatever was in their backpack. There was a a ton of clashes between the local vendors and the police were trying to shut down these local vendors because the police mission statement was everyone needs to stay inside so we stop the spread of the virus. But then there's these vendors, these Bessies who sell fruits and sell vegetables that need to sell on a daily basis to survive. And then there's people, local Ecuadorians, that need to buy those fruits and vegetables on a daily basis to survive. And the police would come in multiple times a day to this to this market that's right outside the hostel and would like go around and like take people's vegetables and like try to shut down stores and stuff like that. And these, these local vendors would like fight back. They would throw like uh, pieces of wood or like rotten fruit at the police. Where the hostel was looking over this whole Mercado area and you would see just sort of this chaotic almost cartoonish fight between police and fruit vendors and it it was never a sense of okay shit is getting like really scary it's really dangerous outside but you could tell like people were getting uh people were getting desperate and me going outside with anything valuable on me is probably not a smart idea so before ecuador was put into lockdown we had nearly a full hostel so around 40 people and then within the first day or so we lost about 10 guests who got the supposedly the last flights out of ecuador so we were around 30 people when quarantine proper started and then from the 18th of march to uh maybe around like the 30th or the first of april we went down to eight guests and even after that, within the two weeks after going down to eight guests, we went down to four guests. So we, we, there was a steady stream of people leaving the hostel trying to get back home. The, the guys who stayed, there's, there's no other way to call them than my, my family, my brothers. It was two guys from New Mexico, uh, two guys from England who were the, the four staples. It was the hostel experience uh on steroids it was the hostile experience but in a groundhog's day format and and not in a bad way so when we had our last guest leave and for most of the quarantine itself we would let in first of all there weren't any gringos showing up but every now and then a guest would would come and ask if they could stay like we there was this one guy on a motorcycle who showed up showed up for a couple days and um, for the most part, Marco was telling people, sorry, we're not accepting any more guests because we're sort of in our own little bubble here. We are, are healthy. My mom is healthy. So I don't want to risk bringing in any other people that might potentially be sick. So that, that would be the only thing I would go back in and change about the, the hostile quarantine because we had a few people who looked nice enough but we, we turned them away just because um, we were healthy. We were in our own little bubble. So I think looking back, if I, if I knew that these people could come in and we would all be happy and safe, 
and that they wouldn't ruin the vibe we had going on, I probably would have let them in. I think I also learned just about people in general that if you take a, a mixed bag of different personalities, different nationalities, and you toss them into a rough situation, it's not always going to be like the way you see it in movies or like the way you see it in TV shows where people are at each other's throats and like someone's trying to be in charge. There's someone cheating on someone else. Like it, it was, there was no drama whatsoever. It was just people accepting their fate for now and just trying to make the most of it, just trying to have a good time. I should, I should say that me personally, I never felt stuck. Like I know I, I physically made a choice to stay and I know that a lot of people, the majority of people left, but I can almost definitively say that the, the group of us that stayed at the hostel until it closed, none of us ever felt stuck. In fact, there was more of a feeling like we would, this is where we want to be. We would rather be, you know, travelers, um, travelers on the road and live out the pandemic on the road than go back home. So it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know if it was like a sense of pride, like, beating my chest like oh I stayed and you didn't but there was never a feeling of like oh I'm trapped here and I think that was what was so amazing about the hostel it was never a feeling of oh we're stuck you know this is miserable even the people that even the people that left and went home nearly everyone was like I wish I could stay longer but I think going home is the right move right now thank you to a storyteller Danger Dave Susky Thank you to all the people who work and run the community hostel. And of course, thank you to Ken Heller, Joshua Heller, for our music. You can read many more travel stories that are featured on the website under People with Backpacks at www.globetrotserat.com or peoplewithbackpacks.com. Looking forward to traveling with you guys again on our next episode. In the meantime, stay safe.